You're tuned in to Down to Earth with Associate Professor Kurt Iverson and Alex Pye. Brought to you by 42 Below. They're keeping our planet pure to keep their vodka pure. One harebrained eco-friendly scheme after another. Be on the lookout in Sydney bars for their eco soap made from recycled cocktail lemons. Head to facebook.com slash 42 below for the full story. Proud sponsor of FBI Radio. Welcome back, Professor Kurt Iveson. It's been a while. I've missed you. Yeah, I've missed you too, Alex. It's nice to be here. So Kurt's in for our edition of Down to Earth. It's a fortnightly conversation about how we can make our cities fairer and more sustainable. And this week, we're going to start to talk about the relationship between our cities and our own health and whether or not... Instead of always thinking it's ourselves to blame and our own bad habits, maybe our cities aren't very healthy for us. Maybe they're making us sick. So I thought we'd get into this this week. That's right. Because it's one of those topics that in my little field, thinking about cities and sustainability and stuff, it's getting more and more attention um, in universities, but also from government and in the, in the media too. Um, and in particular, there's people like Sue Thompson over at UNSW and Jennifer Kent, who's one of my colleagues at Sydney Uni, doing this research about what they call healthy places, healthy planning and healthy environments. Um, it is all about particularly the relationship between a whole bunch of chronic health conditions, sometimes focusing on things like mental health, but also focusing on physical health, things like overweight and uh, obesity, and the relationship between those things and the way we organise our urban environments. Since this is what we talk about, I thought we could get into it this week. Let's maybe just hear some stats about Australia's current obesity problem. Well, that's it. So at the moment, we have a problem in Australia with this aspect of our health collectively. So about two out of every three Australians are overweight, according to the health department, um, and about a quarter um, categorized as obese. Now, those two terms like have a lot of stigma attached with them as well. So in talking about these issues today, I don't want to sort of get into a kind of moralistic, no, we're not stigmatized shaming. thing. Um, they're we're kind shifting of, the blame to our cities. Well, that's doing. it. And those are just, all those things are uh, measurements that health professionals will use about, you know, um, basically height to weight ratios of human beings. Um, but the thing that I think is important is that those indicators, which have been measured for years collectively across the population, are getting worse. So something's going on. Um, and yeah, as you say, to actually think about that something in a kind of structural sense, not just in a kind of moralistic individual sense, seems like a good thing for us to be doing. So overweight and obesity, you're saying, is not just about our diet and exercise. It has got some links to where we live. Yeah, well, this is the thing. And it sort of has those links precisely because actually, to the extent that it is about diet and exercise, actually diet and exercise do have a connection to where we live and to our urban geography. Um, and it turns out that the way that we kind of plan and design cities actually does have an impact on what we eat and how much exercise we get in our everyday lives. Um, so we don't want to go so far as to say as like the environment determines everything, but it definitely has um, some quite big impacts that um, research is starting to sort of point towards now. And so this has got a term as well. Oh, yeah, here we go. So in a way that, you know, years ago, the people doing research about cancer would talk about carcinogenic chemicals or something like that. There are planners now talking about obesogenic environments. So sort of, you know, ways of organising space that actually are, as it were, you know, making people more vulnerable um, to sort of weight and obesity issues. 
This all ties in because we've sort of we've we've discussed ways to move about the city before. It's all interrelated. Yeah. Um, We've talked about food in previous episodes as well. Yeah, that's right. So even just getting into the diet stuff first, that's right. Like if we think about diet we could think about, you know, there's so much stuff out there in the world about how this is just about our individual thing and it's about, you know, what we choose to eat and what we don't choose to eat and blah, blah, blah. But um, what all the research is showing us, of course, is that it's not just about individual choice. So if we think about how that relates to the environment, um, basically you can actually pretty easily map the availability of affordable, fresh and nutritious food across a city like Sydney and see that it's unbelievably uneven, right? And has that been done? It has been done. Um, so there's a whole bunch of maps that you can find online of everything from the availability of supermarkets that would be selling fresh fruit to, you know, more niche stuff like, um, you know, farmers markets or community gardens or whatever. And you just see that there's a real concentration of those um, in certain parts of the cities and not in others. And what do you think that comes down to? Well, yeah, that's... I mean, that's the, a million-dollar question. The million-dollar question, exactly, because the flip side of it is that actually you can also map th- the concentration of fast food outlets. Um, so there were some studies. The first ones done in Australia were done in Melbourne about 10 years ago, like mapping the locations of things like McDonald's and KFC, um, and you see them concentrated in the places where the fresh stuff isn't. So again, the researchers talk about food deserts. Um, we sort of talked about on that on, on the show before, but the really spooky thing about both of those things is the correlation with income and class, um, which is to say that the chances are if you're wealthier in this town, you're also living in a part of the city where there is fresh and nutritious food. And if you're poorer, you're living in a part of the city where there are concentrations of less nutritious, cheap Nasty, dare we say it, fast food. So, I mean, what can we do about this? It sounds as though these food corridors, once they've been set up, can they be swapped around or is this something that can only be tackled with new suburbs that are now being designed? Yeah, well, look, I think there's both things that we've got to be working on and that's what, again, like people like Sue Thompson are really interested in thinking about, right? That we can, you know, like to be totally blunt about it, you think about all the bloody regulations that we have in this town about things like noise, where you can have a rehearsal if you're in a band. There are rules about that all over the place and people are getting pinged for it all the time. The amount of effort that we spend trying to say, you can't do graffiti here or you can't do this, that and there. But you want to set up a fast food shop, there seems to be less... Or put a billboard up where someone can't put graffiti. That's right. You know, all those sorts of things. It's as though we kind of leave a lot of it to the market. So there are, you know, zoning restrictions that we have about where somebody can open up a food place or whatever, but we don't really have much to say about whether it's selling healthy food or food that's going to make us sick or anything like that. So they're sort of arguing that certainly in new suburban areas, we should be really doing some food planning and thinking about are there going to be fresh food outlets in this place and how can we encourage it? But also actually looking at those concentrations in existing environments and say, well, hang on, maybe in the same way that we've got rules about a whole bunch of other things in the environment, we should be starting to think about whether we can really concentrate um, a million of these fast food outlets, you know, in a particular part of the city or not. Well, there's some interesting stuff about ambient exercise as well that we can get into now. Um, which is to say just as there's kind of this uneven distribution of, you know, nutritious food mm. across cities, um, there's a whole bunch of interesting research about how the design of cities also just encourages or discourages the kind of ambient exercise that people are going to get in their daily lives. So this is whether or not it's easy for you to and safely safe for you to jump on a bike and get to work or whether it's safe for you 
at night to be walking home a few blocks from the station rather yeah. than driving. Yeah. Is this yeah. the kind of thing? Yeah, that's the kind of thing. And you can think about it on two sorts of scales, right? On the one hand, you can think about it at the kind of city scale itself, right? And think about how the infrastructures around the city are either going to sort of encourage or discourage people from getting that ambient exercise. So one thing we know, for instance, is that people who use public transport get a lot more ambient exercise in their day than people who drive a car. So, you know, again, knowing as we do that public transport works in lots of parts of a town like Sydney and oh, really doesn't... Oh, remember that time we were chatting about buses oh, in, the, in the western suburbs and exactly. just how harder it is to... Yeah, that's right. You know? So you live around here, near where the studio is here, and the buses are coming by every five minutes and you live in some parts of Sydney. And I mean, they're, they're all full. Every... They're not stopping, but theoretically... <laughs> well, there you go. That's good. They encourage yeah. you to exercise. Yeah. Can't get on the bus. It's full. Um, but yeah, in places where they're coming every 45 minutes, people are popping in their car, understandably, because the service just isn't good enough. So so there's that, but there's also what's going on at the scale of the neighbourhood, if you want to think about it geographically like that, right? Um, and that is about whether, again, you know, if you need a litre of milk, is there somewhere in your neighbourhood that you can walk down the road to get one or do you need to get in your car to get it? Um, if you feel like walking your dog, is there a park that you can do that somewhere nearby or do you need to hop in a car to get to a nice dog park somewhere? So just that stuff about the sort of facilities that we have in our neighbourhood as well in between when we're out working or shopping or whatever else. And and does that, some, does that fall back into the hands of urban planners when they're mapping out new estates? Yeah, very much kind of so. And again, it's one of those things that, you know, people are getting more and more conscious of in that planning space about how we can do that better. So in some ways, you know, it's about the layout of streets and whether, you know, um, like for example, you know, grid patterns in streets that tend to encourage people to walk because they provide quick routes between different things. But yeah, again, just that distribution of like, you know, and again, I think we know it in our heads, but we're not always doing it brilliantly in Sydney at the moment, knowing that, you know, if we don't put parks in a newly developed area, then where are people going to go, you know, to do their just group workouts. ambient <laughs> exercise or their group workouts, um, you know, Danny Bernay style. So it's like, and so you this know, is really interesting, this idea of the walk score. Yes. Yeah, so that's something that you can go online and check out if you happen to be interested in this. There's a website called uh, Walk Scores that you can just, you know, plug in the postcode or name of your suburb. And it actually, it's a little map that has literally measured sort of the availability of those sort of walking facilities in a neighbourhood and will give your neighbourhood a score out of 10 um, as its walk score. And so and was that some of your researcher mates who set those ones up? Or? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's been, it's come out of that sort of academic research. Um, and I've, you know, worked with students um, at, at, you know, Geography at Sydney who've been sort of, you know, doing their own mapping around green space and that sort of thing as well across the city. So it all sort of adds up um, when you put your layer on the public transport and the green spaces and the local shops and all that sort of stuff. Um, but again, what's really interesting about this is that that walk score thing is being used more and more by real estate agents and developers to be able to sort of market areas as really good walkable neighbourhoods. So once again, you know, we start to see the way that the sort of market interacts with all this stuff where the walkable neighbourhoods become more expensive to rent in or to buy in. And so they just, again, become the sort of preserve of wealthier folks. Um, and, you know, we've got to get better at evenly distributing these things across our whole city. So thanks, Kurt. Oh. If I put on weight over the next couple of months due to my crutches, I, I don't have to blame my own choices. I, I don't have to blame my eating habits. Uh, now, thankfully, we can blame the environment and town planners. Yes. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Almost, right? And yeah. so that's the trick with this stuff is to how do we can be sophisticated enough to realise that the environment plays a role 
without falling into the trap that we would call a kind of environmental determinism that says the environment determines everything. So there's a couple of things there that we could think of. Um, first, um, you know, you sort of mentioned the point earlier when we were thinking about exercise, for example, that like even when we put the infrastructures in place, it doesn't mean that they're accessible to everybody. Mm. So some of the things that my students were looking at, for example, was that you compare a park in the city of Sydney area, local government area around here to parks in some other parts of our city. And on a map, it's like there's green space in both places, but you can go and visit one or the other and see that one is like totally schmick, beautiful. Someone's forgotten to unlock the toilets in the yeah, other one. Yeah, exactly. No so it's kind of like, you know, that plays a role. What you're talking about with public transport, which is that, you know, if it's it's not if people don't feel safe on it, um, then they're not going to use it. And there's a real gender dimension to that, just as there is again with parks. Like you know, I go out and play cricket on a Saturday afternoon, and you can just see that the park there is completely dominated by blokes. There's like 15 blokes taking up a lot of green space playing cricket, and it's like, all right, you know. So we've got to be thinking about these other dimensions and how they interact with the environment as well. But it's certainly this idea of the kind of obesogenic environment um, ought to get us thinking. And you know, there's. Uh, great honour student in our place at the moment also doing work about mental health and our environment. She's doing all this great research about what she's calling blue space at the moment. I and mean, we think about green space, but what about blue space and water and the effect that it has on our souls and making us feel better when we have access to That's some know, really great research. I thought you were yeah. going to come in today and solve the obesity issues that we experience, but really you've just given us more to think about. Oh, There's a just, lot more different sorry. tiles that, that fit together yeah. in this. In yeah, this there are, but I think that's it. But it certainly does feel as though this sort of healthy planning agenda that's popping through is just another layer that we have to add into our thinking about when we're reorganising our cities and redeveloping as, them, as we are in Sydney a lot at the moment, that we just have to think about these questions about food and ambient exercise and mental health and all this other stuff as we go about it. So You wanted, you wanted also to mention the importance of time. Yeah, look, and I think that is the other big thing that even when we're thinking about space to not forget about how it interacts with time and those questions about, you know, what we eat at home maybe and how much exercise we do are absolutely as much about time as about space. So, you know, the crazy other situation that we have with our happy little capitalist world right now is that there are so many people who are working so many hours um, in crazy jobs just mean that actually by the time they've done their job and then they've driven to their aftercare to pick up their kids, say, they're getting home and they're like, well, they don't really have three hours to sit down and do the kind of Jamie Oliver masterpiece every night, right? Like, um, and same with exercise, you know, if you're just so pressed for time, um, it doesn't matter how many parks we put in your neighbourhood, right? You're not going to use them because you're never around in your neighbourhood because you're always out doing other stuff. So, oh, so wait, okay, wait. I thought I was blaming <laughs> town planners, but but now it's our it's our lifestyles. It's it's, it's capitalism. Now we're yeah, like it's blaming. always that's always to blame in the end, isn't it? Really, yeah. <laughs> we do lay a heap of shit on capitalism. Each yeah, we you know, but it's like so yeah. So thinking about the interactions of all these things, like it's really complicated, but it's a you know it's a big challenge for us to um to wrap our heads around it and uh and take it all into account, you know, rather than we've mentioned a few different resources that link our health to our environment. That's it. So there's one awesome map that the people at Oniswa, the student paper at Sydney Uni, have just made recently, where they've just like done a brilliant like breakdown of where all the fast food chains in Sydney are and the kind of little, you know, just these great little local things that are just in certain parts of city as well. Um, so you should check that out. There'll be a link to that and definitely a link to the walk score stuff so you can have a look at the walk score in your neighbourhood if you're interested. Um, let's give a little shout out to your union that you're working with at the moment. Yes, that's right. So listen, as well as teaching at Sydney Uni, I'm also the president of the branch of the National Tertiary Education Union there. Um, and 
I give a shout out today to the union because we've had a couple of strikes um, about our conditions there over the last couple of months. But today, as I leave the studio, I'm heading down to the University of Technology where the union uh, members there are on strike today. They're also on strike at the university, at uh, Western Sydney University. So, yeah, lots of industrial action happening across the universities at the moment, trying to improve staff working conditions because they are student learning conditions too. So... Shout out to all my people on the picket lines there today. I'll see you soon. Thumbs up to your Kurt. And we will chat to you again in another couple of weeks. Thank yes, you. Yes, ma'am. Thanks a lot, Alex. For more information on sustainability, the environment, and small ways you can save the world, check out Down to Earth with Associate Professor Kurt Iverson and Alex Pye at fbiradio.com slash down to earth. Brought to you by 42 Below. Keeping our planet pure to keep their vodka pure. Be on the lookout in Sydney bars for their eco soap made from recycled cocktail lemons. Head to facebook.com slash 42 Below for the full story. Proud sponsor of FBI Radio. This was produced by FBI Radio in Sydney, fbiradio.com.